are listening to the Grace of Bel Air Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. For additional information, you can visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. And now, we invite you to enjoy this week's sermon. Say good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Doing good? Amen. Amen. Well, we enjoyed that wonderful time of worship, uh, just worshiping the Lord together. Thank you, worship team, uh, for leading us this morning. And uh, such a, a great uh, time where we can just jump into God's Word this morning as we're going to be looking at the book of Acts. We've been going through a series uh, in the book of Acts, and today we find ourselves in Acts chapter 9, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 31, and we want to welcome those watching online this morning. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We appreciate your participation today. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. We're going to be jumping through uh, that portion of Scripture this morning, and you can take notes. Uh, You know, I encourage you to take notes what the Lord's saying to you, and and, uh, you can also find those notes on the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, If you just do that scan code, you'll find those notes there. Um, on that, but uh, there's a, uh, just a lot to unpack here this morning uh, as we're going to be talking about Jesus building his church. This morning we're talking about it being God's way, um, and so that's going to be something we look at as the church and how it's built. We're going to discover this morning that the church is built through obedience to him. It's about obedience to the Lord, and this is how the church is built all over the world, how it continues to to be built. And so, um, how many of you have heard the phrase, it's going to be this person's way or the highway? Have you ever heard that phrase before? Okay, so, um, so when we talk about that title, uh, I was reminded of a story that I shared here many years ago uh, in past years, but uh, I feel like it's fitting uh, this morning about uh, just a story of me growing up uh, as a kid. And, uh, you know, it, this day it was, it was either grandmother's way. Or the highway, you know, and so, um, uh, so we were visiting my grandmother in Missouri, and uh, so we, my my older brother, and my older sister, were all three redheads, and so we went to this theme park uh, that was about an hour from where she lived. Uh, it was in Missouri. We visit there about once or once a week, or uh, for about a week or two at a time during the summer, and uh, so she had taken us there to this wonderful theme park and. Uh, you know, of course, being three redheads, having, you know, uh, you know, basically have to watch out for that sun, you know what I'm saying? And so we had to put on a lot of sunscreen. My, uh, we, we keep the sunscreen business, uh, we keep the sunscreen industry in business, I'm telling you. It's, um, it's quite awesome. But uh, uh, so we're on our way home uh, from that theme park, and my grandmother's driving in the car. My brother, older brother's in the front seat. My sister and I are in the back seat. And uh, so we, we grab this umbrella that we had found in my grandmother's car. And so we start poking my older brother in the front. And we start poking him. And of course, you know, that causes a, quite a commotion in the vehicle. So my grandmother's telling us to knock it off. Stop it. I'm going to pull over this vehicle. This is your last warning. How many know parents, a lot of times we say this is your last warning. But really, it's like the fifth last warning. Like, you just keep going. It's like, this is your, you just keep saying it over and over. Um, and I've not seen my grandmother very upset very many times, but this is one of those moments where it did become a problem. And so, uh, so we, we're poking my brother with it still in the front seat, and as she's driving on this highway, it's not a very busy highway, but it is a highway, and you know there's like a button on, that, on those umbrellas, and, it just, you, and we accidentally hit the button um, when we were poking my brother, and so all of a sudden it just goes, boosh, boosh, and it just like, freaks my grandmother out. It scares us to death. And so my grandma, we just, she was done. Like she was, she's had enough. And so she pulls over to the emergency lane, pulls over on the side of the road. And we all three knew what was about to happen. We were about to face grandmother's wrath. And so, um, but there was this moment, right, as siblings where we just like connected. Like we all had a plan, but we just didn't verbalize the plan. It just like, it was in sync with one another. So as she exits out the left uh, driver's side, we all exit out the right side of the vehicle, 
And we, no joke, we start running down into the ditch. We're running in the ditch, right? We're running as fast as we possibly can go down there. And she's coming right behind us with this umbrella still undone. And she's screaming her head off at us, telling us to get back here and all this different stuff. And as I thought about that story, you know, years later, I was just like, you know, that was a crazy story. And we always tell that to my grandmother. She's probably going to listen to this. Grandma, I love you. Uh, You're the best. Um, Thank you for your patience. But um, I always think about that story. And it it like dawned on me once, you know, that was a pretty crazy, funny story. But you know what would have been more crazy is if you were driving along the highway, right? And all of a sudden you see these three redheads pop out of a vehicle. And all of a sudden you see a grandmother with the umbrella coming around the corner and they're just running and screaming for their lives. I mean, I'm like, I bet we made those people's day. We made their life, really. I mean, that's a story you could tell for generations to come. Um, man, just one particular day, I saw this lady get out of the car, and there's three little redheads running everywhere. Um, it's quite, a, quite the story, to say the least. Anyways, what does this have to do with my message? Absolutely nothing. It is just good to laugh, amen? Uh, and so we're going to find ourselves in the book of Acts today, Acts chapter 9. Verses 1 through 31. We've been talking about a number of different things these past couple of weeks about uh, bold faith, about keep, keep moving forward, um, and also inviting heaven to earth. How do we do that in our own personal lives? And through all this, we've seen the church continue to be built no matter what it was facing, including one of the most, uh, you know, I would say the most dedicated individuals to persecuting the church, which is a man named Saul. And if you know his story, he eventually changes his name to Paul. We have a lot of uh, letters from him in the New Testament that is written up and, ex- and a lot of different uh, reasons why those letters are put in there. And so at this particular time, this is Saul. This is his story of how his life gets changed around forever. Um, and so we're going to see what God does. Just because a lot of times we think we know every, we, we seem to think like we know everything that God will do. We just have like this perception almost like we know the drill of what God does. And then all of a sudden, God just throws you a curveball where it's just like the least likely individual you expected to have a transformed life would have been Saul, especially if you were living in this time frame. Uh, you would have been, he was the least expected individual to become a Christian simply because he's trying to destroy the church. That's his, mo- that's his mission. That's his goal. And so we look at this in Acts chapter 9, just about his story and what takes place Um, This is what it says in verse 1 through uh, verse 9. We're talking about how God builds his church. How does God do it? He pursues people. He pursues. Everybody say pursues. If you're watching online, would you put that in the comments for us? We're going to be reading this in verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he nears Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashes around him. He falls to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led them by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And so this is such an uh, important passage that we're going to unpack as best as we can for the time frame we have. But I, I want us to understand the context of what's taking place. So Saul, again, is, is dedicated his life and his mission to eliminating this. They called it the way back then, and th- this is what Christianity is. Um, and so... What we have to understand about Saul's story is Saul is, number one, he is a Pharisee. So he is a religious leader. He, he does know the Bible at that particular time. And so what we do need to understand, some people don't, or sometimes forget this, uh, Saul believes in God. Saul believes there is a God. How many understand that? So critical because there's a lot of people in this world who believe there's a God. Who did Saul have a problem with? Jesus. He had a problem with Jesus being preached. He was okay with God, and even you hear him say the name Lord. How many of you saw that? He's okay with the name Lord because he speaks it, but he's not okay with the name Jesus. There's the difference. 
Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man's going to get to God the Father but through me. That, to Saul, was blasphemous. And that was what he was so upset about, is, is these Christians are saying the exact same things. Jesus is the only way to God the Father. That is what irritated Saul. How many understand? A lot of people believe in God. But if we would ask the question, how many of you believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? No man will get to God the Father but through him. How many hands will then go up, right? So this is such a, an important thing. And what we know about Saul is that he is a Pharisee, but what we do know about the high priest during this time is he is a Sadducee. There's a reason why there is a Sadducee and a Pharisee. Basically, in translation, they don't get along. <laughs> they have two different philosophies on some things. And it's big deal. That's why there's two different names. So we know the high priest is a Sadducee. We know Saul is a Pharisee. And all of a sudden, they're getting along about one particular thing, eliminating what they would call Christianity or the way during this time. They wanted to wipe out this whole idea of Jesus completely. Remember, these are the people that put Jesus to death. They were the ones that were in charge of making that happen. And so they were all in agreement on rare occasions, this is one of those rare occasions where they're all in agreement about getting rid of the name of Jesus and those who believe in him. And so this was their way. So Saul is then going to go to Damascus. Why does he have to get a lot of letters? Well, if you know the story behind or history behind Damascus, Damascus is an older city, but what has happened so much in Damascus is there's a lot of transfer of power. A lot of people are coming in control of that particular region and certain spots of that area. And so you had a lot of people in control, and then you had all these synagogues amongst this particular city. So Saul has to get letters because there's only one, one person that these Jewish people are going to listen to. And Saul knows it. It's the high priest. He's the guy in charge. They'll listen to the, the, the high priest if he has letters signed by the high priest. So he's got to get all this information. I, I'm just trying to show you how dedicated Saul was to this to this whole idea of eliminating Christianity off the face of the earth. This was his mission. He was so dedicated. He was even willing, <laughs> he was even willing to have a truce with a Sadducee. He was even willing to get letters from him because he knew if he had letters from him, he could go anywhere there and everybody would have to listen. And so Saul has a plan to go. But then when he approaches Damascus, we see what happens. It says a bright light appears. What that means is that it's, if you look at it, it's an all-encompassing light. Everything just turned into a bright light, and it brought Saul to his knees. But then we hear the voice. Paul doesn't, or Saul doesn't know the name at this moment that we're talking about. He just says, who are you, Lord? Right? Remember, he's okay with the name Lord. He's okay with the name God. He's not okay with the name Jesus yet. And then we'll see eventually Jesus respond. But the first thing Jesus says is not his name. He just says, why are you persecuting me? And this is so critical because in a world where there is persecution of Christians, where there is suffering, where, you know, there in some countries you could even be put to death if it's found out that you are a Christian. In America, it can often lead to a number of different things. It could be mockery. It could be, we've seen this, where people will not get promotions because of their faith, because the individual in charge of the promotion will not allow that to happen because they're a Christian. That has happened for people. There are a number of different things. You could not be invited to certain uh, places where people are gathering and hanging out and having fun together because they don't want to invite you because they know what you represent. This can happen. But I'm here to tell you something, that they don't, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. And what's so critical to understand is there's, I'm going to teach, there's one particular verse everybody in this room can memorize. It's in the Gospel of John where Lazarus dies. And it, there's this one particular phrase that just says, Jesus wept. So Jesus, being God in flesh, is having emotions. He feels. He feels pain. He feels suffering. He feels what it does to people. Here's another important moment where this is also true. He says, why are you persecuting me? Which means Jesus felt the persecution. He felt the suffering. Which is why he responds that way. He doesn't say, why are you persecuting Christians? He says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus felt it. And it's so critical that you and I understand it. Because some of us are walking through things in family life and, and jobs. A number of different things. And, and let's be honest. Let's be clear. I always like to explain what suffering is. Okay, suffering is when 
You're doing something unto the Lord, and people are rejecting you, and they're making your life a mess. Suffering is not you getting fired from a job because you didn't show up to work. How many understand that? That is not suffering. So you need to understand clearly what suffering is, all right? Um, So critical to understand what suffering is and what it's not. What's happening here is Jesus saying, I feel what's happening, which, which tells us this even more so. God is not some big, powerful God. Yes, he is big and powerful, but he is not a God who's so distant that he is not personal to you, where he doesn't have feeling, he doesn't have emotion. This is very clear. God has emotion. God created our emotions. Now, the goal is not to let the emotions rule us, but we rule the emotion. It's a big difference. We don't let the emotions rule us. That can get out of control real quick. But what we do know is Jesus was not numb to pain. He was not numb to what you and I walk through in this life. Let me also say this. Let me also say this. It is so important that you and I don't become numb to what other people are walking through. It's so critical when we see injustices all over the world that you and I do not become numb to the pain that they're walking through and the suffering they walk through. We should not be that way. Jesus felt it. Jesus understood that what they go through, I walk through, I go through. And what they're doing is not unto it's not just them, it's, it's me. You're persecuting me. So just because I don't understand maybe where somebody's, what they're going through in the context of all that, it doesn't matter. What I don't want to be is somebody that walks around this world numb to what people are walking through. I want to keep that compassion there. I want to keep that there because that's what Jesus had. He had compassion on people. He learned to identify with people in those moments. And this is what you and I are called to. But there's Something also important that we need to recognize is what Saul calls the voice. He doesn't, doesn't know it's Jesus yet. He just, he just says, who are you, Lord? That word means this. This is not a meaningless word Saul throws out. This means, it means the one who is in control of me. The one who is in control of me. That's so critical to understand that word or that name, the Lord, because it declares to whatever is going on around you, the Lord is in control. The Lord is in control of me. This is what Saul came to recognize, is that the Lord was in control of him. But this is so critical for us to understand, is that when he declares that, when you and I walk through things, through situations, through stress, through fear, through you know, depression through whatever the case may be, that you call on the name of the Lord because it is powerful. The reason why I'm going deeper with you on this particular name is because I want you to know how powerful that name is. It is not a meaningless name. I mean, you're understanding that. It is not a meaningless name because when you call on the name of the Lord, enemy, the enemy of your soul trembles. Because why? Because he knows who's in control. He's in control The Lord is in control of me. So no matter what I walk through, no matter what problem I face, I'm not going to declare to God how big this problem is. I'm going to declare to the problem, the Lord is in control of me. And he's in control of this problem. He's in control of all of it. And this is so important for you and I to understand. So now, when the voice speaks, it says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, He tells Saul to get up. I love that phrase, get up. What does that mean? What is that that trying to tell us? The the phrase get up in this moment, because sometimes we read past this and we don't, and for, you know, we just don't catch these, what, what Jesus is actually saying to Saul. What he's telling Saul to do is get up. It means rise up again. Saul knew in that moment, I mean, can you imagine you've dedicated your life to wiping out everybody that believes in Jesus? You've dedicated your, your mission, your call is to do this. And then all of a sudden, this happens, and you say, who are you, Lord? And then all of a sudden, the name Jesus comes out. How many know your heart would sink? It would just be like, I'm dead, right? It's just like, I'm so dead. Like, there's, there's no, no percentage of chance I have here. I am 100% dead. Like, this is over, right? Saul understood what he deserves, in a matter of moments, he understands what he deserves. But Jesus says to him, he doesn't say to Saul, I condemn you. You're a goner. How dare you? He just says, get up. 
What is, he, what is Jesus saying? The meaning behind that is rise up again. New life, in other words. I'm giving this to you right now. New life. But do you notice Saul had to get up? He had to get up. See, there are people over and over and over who, who maybe even come to this church where Jesus keeps saying to you, get up, I'm trying to give you this new life. And you keep saying no. Jesus is offering it to you, but you've got to get up. You've got to say yes. You may say, what do, I, what do I have to do? You have to call on the name of the Lord. I can't do it for you. He made Saul get up and told him that you have to do it. And Saul had to make a choice. I could either stay on the ground and I can just sit there and, and just be so sorry for myself because of all the bad things I've done. Or I could take him up on the offer and I can actually get up and take his offer of new life. And I want it. And, he, and we see Saul makes a choice. He decides to get up and be obedient and go into the city. So why is, this, why is this so important? Why is this so important? Because when you feel lost, when you feel alone, when you feel afraid, you know, there are going to be those feelings that come. Again, God has given us these feelings, but these feelings can lead us astray if we're not careful. And so when it comes to these feelings, not every feeling that we have, we encounter is accurate. So we've got to dive deeper into the meaning behind it all. Why am I diving so deep into this particular portion of scripture? It's because Saul, in our human terms, in our human terms, Saul is the worst of the worst. Like if there's anything, I understand everybody deserves salvation, right? We understand that. The Bible tells us that. But in, in our human perspective, Saul has done some incredibly terrible things. And so for Saul, he's, I, I want to know why is this being said? What is so critical about this moment with Saul? And what, why does Saul write about Romans the way he does and why he's so passionate about the grace of God in the book of Romans, which we've walked through as a church and we've walked through that study. But why is, why is Saul so passionate about God's grace? Because of his story. Because of what he experienced. Don't ever forget the story that you've walked through in this life and how God has brought you to this moment. The fact of the matter is you're here. You're in his house. You're in the very best place you could ever be. I know there are a bazillion different options you could be right now, but you've chosen to be in God's house. So you're here. He's orchestrated your steps. It's so critical that we don't forget that. For, for Saul, he was given the opportunity to get up, and he gets up. Now, there were the individuals who were there who didn't understand what was happening. They heard the sound, but they didn't know what was being said. They saw nothing. They didn't see the bright light. I mean, that comes from different portions of Scripture where you can look at it. In John 12, really quickly, there's Jesus riding through uh, Jerusalem. It's a triumphal entry where he goes into Jerusalem just right before he gets crucified, not too much later. But what happens in that Scripture, if we read that in John 12, you will see that at one point, a voice from heaven speaks something. A voice from heaven comes. Some heard it, but then there were other observers who said it sounded like thunder. So they didn't hear it. They heard the noise, but they didn't hear the words. Then we look at Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel, in the Old Testament, he receives a vision from God. And it's a vision in front of people. But the people around him don't see the vision. He's the only one that saw it. So what am I, why am I bringing this up to you? It's because we've talked about God being sovereign. He is a master planner. He is in control. He is the king. He is over all the world. All authority belongs to him. There is no one who compares him, as Isaiah 40 says, no one who is my equal. So when we understand that God is sovereign, when God does things that we don't fully cannot comprehend, what we can only be, what we can know is this, is that what, I don't know every single reason and why certain people hear that. It could be unbelief. It could be maybe that it wasn't specifically for them. You know, you could go through a number of different reasons but all we can understand about that is simply this, is that God had a plan because he's in control. That's what we do know, is God had a plan and God was in control. So the second part of this is about the calling. And this is what we know. God pursues people and he's going to call people. Everybody say call. This is what it says in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he, said, he answered. 
The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. How many know he's like, wait, God, what are you trying to say to me right now? Is it, do I come again? Like, have you not seen this guy's resume? Like, I think, I know you're sovereign God, but let me just remind you of the resume here. I love it. I love the Bible. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord, I love this, dash Jesus right there. My Bible has like this dash Jesus right there. Because remember, he does not, he, Saul is not, he's not offended by the name God. He's not offended by the name Lord. It's like dash, okay, I'm about to say the name Jesus. And I realize Saul kills people when you say that name. So here it goes, right? He just goes, the Lord, Jesus, right? That would be difficult for him. Who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now there's a lot we can unpack here, but for the sake of time, what I love about this passage that we just read is first of all, God knew exactly where Saul was and God knew exactly what Saul was doing the whole time. He knew where Saul, he knew the exact street location, and he knew the exact house Saul was in. He knew exactly what Saul was doing in those moments. Saul was praying. Ananias hears this voice from the Lord. Of course, in the moment, has some questions, like all of us do, right? When it comes to God putting something in our heart that doesn't make sense. But this is what God says. I have chosen him. I have chosen him. Ananias had to be obedient in this, in this moment because he did not understand why you were picking Saul, why you were picking me to go to Saul. All he had to do was just trust God as a sovereign Lord. He's the master planner. He's the king. He's in charge. He's in authority. I may not understand everything that he's doing right now, and I am scared to death right now, but because he is sovereign Lord and because he is in charge, I will follow and I will be obedient to what I am called to do. God calls Ananias to go to Saul. But we understand this. The calling does not come from ourselves. And let me just say this. The calling is not ours. Even our personal call is not ours. It's God's call. He's in charge of it. So what he, he doesn't make mistakes. What you and I are called to do is to say yes. And this is what I've written about this is what I've you know even felt the Lord say is does God really have your yes does God actually have your yes because God will give you maybe a lifelong call sure but God will also give you specific situations that he calls you to that he draws your heart to and it's so critical that he has your yes this is why Ananias was able to be obedient to God no matter how scary that was because Ananias had already given God his yes he already given it to him. He says, all right, you're in charge. It's going to be your way because your way is better than my ways. Your wisdom is, is greater than my wisdom. I cannot, I cannot fully grasp what you're doing, but you've got my yes still. Some of us, we've said yes, but does God still have your yes? Because God is going to call you to things. God's going to draw you to something. He's going to draw you to a neighborhood. He's going to draw you to a person. He's going to give you a lifelong call. I don't know what the case may be. I just know this. God's going to call everybody who calls on the name of the Lord. Every Christian has a call. Prime example, Jesus says, go and make disciples, which is all of us. It is all of us. He even tells Ananias, go. Just go. And to Ananias' credit, he does. He does go. God will call, but you have to answer. You still have to answer. You still have to go. This is so critical because what we do know is Saul was praying and more than likely Ananias is praying. He receives a vision from God to what, what he's supposed to do. And this is what I've come to understand. Prayer will lead to action, not inaction. 
Prayer leads to inaction, not, not to inaction. Why, why am I saying that? It's because we, we've, this is what I've had to evaluate in my own life. God, if, I, if, <laughs> if I'm going to pray about something, I better be praying about something I'm actually willing to do. Because how many times, Lord, have I prayed for something to happen, but deep down I probably actually wouldn't even do it. So what needs to happen is my heart needs to change a little bit here. Because God does not have my full yes on everything. And I have to evaluate my heart and say, Lord, what is causing me to hesitate? What is causing me, my, really, my disobedience when he does call? Because honestly, what, can, what, what you and I are called to do could be a number of different things. And I'm going to explain how to pursue that. But what we do need to understand is the context of his call. What does this mean? What, when it comes to the call of God, I'm, we're not, God's not asking us, and I'm not asking you, to be perfect in this where you are obedient every single time you do this. But what I will say is this. God is calling us to be people of consistency. He's calling us to be faithful. That's another word. He's calling us to be faithful because he is always going to be faithful. Even when we're faithless, he's always going to be faithful. So when we consistently say yes, we're developing this call in our life. Everybody follow? But the, the opposite is also true. If I consistently say no to his call, I am actually killing my spiritual life. Because why? It's a consistent life walking in disobedience, not obedience. It's a consistent life. What I want to do is consistently obey God, to say yes that, and to anything he prompts me to do. I want to say yes, and I want to develop that. Maybe, well, I'm afraid to mess up. Well, guess what? We, we've all messed up on this call. We've all messed up. We all thought we've heard things, done things, and it didn't work out that way. But if anybody's going to write a book about understanding everything about God's call and everything that God says and does, and you understand that perfectly, you probably don't need this church. You don't need any church if you understand the whole thing. I'm just here to tell you. What, we are developing this in our life. It's constant. God is always surprising us, right? I mean, this is a surprise. You think about all the apostles, all the people in this moment, these guys that are strong in their faith, and they've experienced a lot of terrible things, and they're still able to follow the Lord. And they saw this. They didn't see this coming. They didn't see it coming. You'll, find, you'll see it in this, these later verses. But here's what we do know. Ananias goes to Saul, and this is what he says to Ananias first. He calls him brother, which means you're one of us. I, I want to know how hard that was. For Ananias to say that. Because I guarantee you this. Ananias probably knows some people that Saul has done some terrible things to. And yet he calls him Brother Saul. Because you know why? Because Ananias has experienced forgiveness. And so Ananias is willing to forgive. Ananias has experienced the grace of God in his life. He's experienced the mercy of God. And so in this moment... That's a huge statement to make to a man named Saul. And, it's, and he understands this. He's like, you know what? I've, been, you know, I've done things I'm not proud of either, but you know, I've experienced the grace of God. I've experienced the mercy of God, and I've experienced his forgiveness. And so it's not just for me. It's for Saul. This is the heart that every single one of us needs to have, that no matter who it is, even your worst enemy, to say, you know what, if they come to know Jesus, that's, that's fantastic. That's, what, that's my goal, is for them to find Jesus. Because the Bible says this, Paul says this later in Ephesians. He says, our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. Saul, Saul writes that because he's experienced it. Because if anything, Ananias could have said no. But he went. So how do I... You and I pursue the, the call on God's, that God places on our life. Well, here's a few things. I've already talked about him saying yes, about you saying yes to God's call. But you've got to listen to him because he will draw your heart to something. He's going to draw your heart to something. It may be a situation. It may be a lifelong journey. It may be an individual person. I don't know. But God's going to draw your heart to something. And more than likely, it's going to break your heart because you know why? It's breaking God's heart. And God is, trying, is getting us to hear him, to say, this breaks my heart, and I'm going to ask you to do something about the situation, to help, to do something, because he's going to draw your heart to it. Here's the next thing you need to do. 
You need to verbalize it to somebody. You've got to verbalize the call of God that he puts in your heart. You've got to verbalize it. I mean, if you just look at gold, business people know this, that when they acknowledge or express and verbalize their goals, they are, they are more than likely able to accomplish those goals. Why? Because they have actually now spoke it out to other people. So when it comes to the call of God on your life, you like, well, it sounds silly. I don't care. Verbalize it. Verbalize it. Say it. Because there's power in your words. The Bible says your tongue has the power of life and death. So when you verbalize something that God has calling you to, you're giving that call more and more power. And it may not be the way you think it's going to go. But this is what's so, encur- so encouraging is because when you verbalize it, that is your yes. Does everybody follow? When you verbalize that is your yes. It's another consistent way of saying yes to God. That, you know what, I'm verbalizing it because God has my yes, and if I actually go through with it, and this is the exact way he wants me to do with it, he already has my yes. I'm verbalizing it. And then when I verbalize it, I find people who can help me develop it. Find people, bring people in my life. You're going to see Saul surround himself with people that help him in his call. You're going to see it at the end here. But the next thing, obviously, to do would be to pray. Say, okay, God, I... I have this. I've talked with people about it. I'm going to pray about it because I know, God, your timing is perfect. You're never late. You're never early. You're always on time. And so I'm going to pray and just be ready for the moment that maybe you give me something to to, to respond to. The last thing is sometimes the hardest part is to act. You actually have to act on it. How many of you saw Ananias had to act? He heard about it. He prayed about it. He probably, you know, he, he... he did a lot of different things to think through this one, but he still had to act. He still had to go through with it, and he did. And we see what happens. Now, we're going to read this when it comes to verses, 20, or verses 19 through 25 to finish, or 19 through 31, excuse me, to finish this story up. But it says this, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? This is so critical that you, understand, that you and I understand God's call because the world will not get you. They will not get you. Do you think they reminded Saul, aren't you the guy who, who destroyed people's lives? But remember what God said, I've called you. I've chosen you. We cannot be a people that looks to look for human affirmation. You cannot do that. It will destroy your call. Because you don't answer to them, you answer to God. And when you stand before God, those people aren't going to be there. It's going to be you and him, and that's it. You're going to have to answer. And this is so critical. When we are obedient to the call of God on our life, he's going to equip you with what you need to make it happen. Because he will not call you to something and leave you alone and say, now, good luck to you. No, he's going to bring you through it. This is what our God does. And so he says, hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Verse 22. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, a conspiracy among the Jews came about to kill him. But Saul learned their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night, lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. They must have not got the text message or the social media posts, but that's okay. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and it increased in numbers. What I, what I would say with this as we close with this last point, we'll have the worship team come. How many of you have ever changed a tire before? You had a flat tire, right? It's the worst, right? And it always it never happens at the convenient moment, right? 
I remember my dad taught me how to change a tire, and uh, he had verbalized all the things I need to do and all that different stuff. But did you know, I didn't pay a lick of attention that whole thing, <laughs> but I did pay attention one day. Guess what day that was? The day I got a flat tire, right? And he's like, don't worry, you got everything you need in your car already. There's a spare tire, there's the tools to change your tire, and he walked me through it. But what's so interesting is I had all the tools, I just didn't know how to use them. I didn't know how to change a tire. I had been verbally told, but I'd never actually done it myself. And so what Saul had to realize is that he knew his call, but he just didn't know how to go about it. So what did he do? It says he got involved with some disciples in Damascus. And he got involved in some community. He got, he got to know people, and people got to know him. And you want to know one of, the, one of the first things they taught him to do? Go and tell people about Jesus. Go and tell them. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, go and make, which means when we go, we got to tell. This is one of the critical themes of Acts that we see is it wasn't just a certain group, a certain spiritual level of people that have to tell people about Jesus because we read in one of, Saul's, in one of Paul's letters later, he says, all I knew is Jesus Christ and him crucified and that's what he just did. He just went out and told people. I mean, it was pretty simple to him. He was like, okay, I'll just go and do it. This is what every single Christian is called to do. And you learn and develop that more and more in community, but you don't have to wait till you get to some level spiritually to go and tell people about Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to do it. And these are one of the common themes that I see in the book of Acts. We've talked about how they've prayed together. We, that's a common theme I see. We see a common theme of them telling people about Jesus. They did it, all of them, not just the select individuals. They all did it. But there's another theme. They got involved in a community. They, they got involved with one another. They, they learned about each other. They learned about each other's calling, and they helped one another develop their call. It was so critical to who they were as a church, and it was why they increased in numbers. is because they learned what Jesus had always taught them all along, is when they were together, they were stronger. They developed their callings. And they went to places. And what I, what I love about this is that you see all the things that happened to Saul. You may be thinking, man, that guy has really bad luck. Everywhere he goes, everybody just wants to kill him, right? It's, it's, it's like all this bad luck, right? But what I noticed is this. Everywhere Saul went, God equipped him with what he needed. God equipped him with every single logistic that he needed. What catches people off guard and what what, call, what ends up destroying a lot of people's callings on their life is they get hung up on the logistics of how it's going to work. You cannot get caught up on that. Are those things important? Yes. But there comes a moment where God just wants to know, no matter how this goes, do I have your yes or is it a no? When you and I get caught up on all the logistics, I'm not saying that those are not important. I'm just simply here to tell you, Saul didn't know how this thing was going to go. I'm supposed to go preach to all these Gentiles and, you know, I got to go preach to kings and all these different things. I got to go do all this. Saul had a lot of questions, but Saul had already given Jesus his yes. And God handled all the other logistics for him. He had disciples in Damascus. He goes to Jerusalem. People are scared of him. So guess what? He brings in Barnabas. Barnabas then brings him to the apostles. And it says he hangs out with them for a while. And then all of a sudden, all these Jews want to kill him again, right? So then where does he go? He goes to Tarsus. Do you see how God took a, what looks like a human problem of people trying to kill him all the time? But it actually became opportunities for Saul to spread his message all over the place. Here's the difference. Here's how we got to see through the eyes of God is that when I see problems from a human perspective, what if it's actually an opportunity? for God to spread his gospel and all it is for what other people may see is a problem, an issue. You keep finding yourself with, around these people who just want to kill you all the time. What Saul realizes, I've went to Damascus, I've went to Jerusalem, and I'm going to Caesarea, and I'm going to Tarsus, 
I'm going to all these different places in a short matter of time. God was providing and equipping him for his call. Such an amazing thing to notice is that through the eyes of God, we don't see them as problems. We see them as opportunities for God to answer. And this is what the church in the book of Acts realized. And it says at the very end, they lived in harmony with one another. It says they lived at peace with one another in harmony. It's like an orchestra where everybody's on the same page. Everybody's playing the, their instrument. They're doing their part, and it sounds beautiful. But as soon as one person gets off, obviously everybody notices. But they were in harmony with one another. Because why? Because they learned the themes of Acts, and this is what they were called to do. And they did it consistently over and over and over. And the Bible says over and over and over, daily people were getting saved. Why? Because of their consistency as a church. Not just in Jerusalem, but Damascus, Caesarea, Tarsus. I mean, it was expanding all over the globe as a result of what this church was doing in Acts because they did what Jesus told them to do. They kept it simple. They said, you know what? We're just, we're just going to go and tell people about Jesus and see how this thing goes. Things start happening all the time because of their obedience to God. It says they lived in, lived in fear of the Lord. It's a reverence. It's a respect. And they received encouragement through the Holy Spirit because they knew going into this, because of what they saw Jesus walk through, there was going to be some problems. There's going to be some trials that they're going to walk through, tough times. But they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Because why? Because God equipped them with exactly what they needed all the time for them to fulfill this call, for them to fulfill their mission. And it says at the very end, I love it, it says they increased in numbers, which means more people were coming to know Jesus because the church as a whole came together and said, it's not just going to be the apostles. It's not just going to be Saul. It's not just going to be Barnabas. It's going to be all of us together doing our part and following what God has called us to do. When I live my life in obedience to him, this is how the church gets built, when I am obedient. So today, if you're here and there's something God has called you to and Maybe you've pushed it off or whatever. Maybe this is the day God is calling you back to it and to say yes. Because it scares you because you don't know the logistics. But what God is asking you is not for all these logistics to get planned out for you. What he's just simply saying is, do I have your yes? I will take care of everything else. I'm just wondering, will you actually say yes to what I say? in the future. And if you can't give it to me now, you're not going to give it to me then. It's simple. Just say yes. For somebody to experience the Lord Jesus Christ, you may be thinking, I, I don't know how that thing works. How does Jesus transform my life? Here's a start. You just say yes. It's called faith. It's believing without seeing. And I've seen too many lives transformed seen them too many times and what I love it what I love about it is because those people didn't figure it out in that moment they just said yes they trusted this over everything else and they said this is this is the word of God it's true it's my final authority because as soon as I look at this as an opinion everything else becomes an opinion on this and I don't see the word of God come into reality because I just look at this as an opinion. But when I say, when I look at this and I say, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, I trust that. I trust it. You may be thinking, well, I don't, I don't know how to work. No, you call on the name of the Lord. There's your yes. And then watch the rest of your life start to be transformed. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of what Saul had experienced. This is why the book of Romans is so amazing. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible because Saul has this all-encompassing moment and he cannot believe Jesus told him to get up and to go. He could not believe it when he deserved nothing more from that. Jesus gave him grace. Jesus shown him mercy. Jesus gave him a call. Jesus gave him people. Jesus gave him a plan. And even though he didn't have the whole plan, God gave him a step by step by step as he walked. Such a beautiful thing. So if you're here today, maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you need to, to have to, that was my 
takeaway from today for myself was to say, Lord, I'm going to say yes to you again. I don't know what lies ahead for myself, but all I can do is say yes to you. And I know you're going to equip me with what I need. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning. If you're on the prayer teams this morning, I want to invite you to come forward. If you're here today, maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you need to say yes to something that God has put in your heart to do. I encourage you to make your way forward and have these people pray over you. Prayer is powerful. It's effective. It's not a meaningless thing that we do here. We put a priority on that because we believe God answers prayer. Maybe you're here this morning and there's something that God is calling to and you've pushed it off, you've pushed it off, you've pushed it off. Maybe God is calling on you to say yes. And I believe this morning God's going to start something new in your life. You may not know anything's happening, but I do know this. He's in control. He has a plan. He's calling you to it. All he asks for you is to get up and go. And so this morning, as we sing with this team, let's sing with them this morning. And if you need prayer, if you want to receive Christ, you can make your way forward. And let's just dedicate this moment, these last few moments, to the Lord. And let's sing this together this morning. Amen. As we dismiss today, if you need prayer, these prayer teams will remain up here for for a few moments. Please don't walk out of here if you need it today. I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you, and that will be our form of dismissal today. And this morning as an act of surrender, would you lift your hands with me and just just begin to say, Lord, I am yours. I feel like that was something God was speaking to me, that the church here just needs to say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. So here we are, Lord. We thank you for the privilege it is to be in your house. Lord, we thank you for what you've spoken in your word and, Lord, how it applies to our life. Lord, we are yours. Lord, you have our yes. Lord, I pray for those this morning who have a call on their life that they've been pushing off or they're not sure how it's going to work. God, I pray that you would calm all fear, all anxiety, all stress. And Lord, just to take a next step of faith to just say yes to you. Lord, let them be surrounded by individuals who will help them grow in this. Lord, and what you are calling them to do, whether it's an individual person they've been called to, Lord, a lifelong calling, or Lord, a specific situation. God, I pray, Father, that they will follow you because, Lord, at the end of it all, Lord, it's about our obedience to you. And, Lord, this week we desire to build your church, Lord, so use us this week, I pray. Be with us as we go today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen, amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. We thank you for being here. We love you. Have a wonderful day.